listening to Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast, produced every Saturday for your enjoyment. Get more information on our website, grace-nation.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at GraceNationMin and on Facebook. Now, here is your host, President of Grace Nation Ministries, Victor. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and right now my co-host Billy's not sitting next to me, but that's because we have a very special podcast in store for you guys. We are so excited to be introducing this collaboration of a project. We, we've gotten uh, just, just a, a bunch of our friends together uh, on a topic that we are all really passionate about, and so we are really excited just to just to kind of bring this to you, we're gonna we're, we we have so much in store uh, for you guys today. So we we really hope you guys will tune in. We we hope that you will stick around for the entirety of our episode today, and we are just. Uh, very excited to get into this topic. Real quick, though, before we start, I just want to talk about our ministry a little bit. Uh, if you guys haven't heard, we are doing a Reaching the Nations fundraiser, and it's such an amazing fundraiser. And if you haven't had an opportunity to check it out, or if you don't know what it is, please do. Uh, our website is grace-nation.com. And basically, the fundraiser is we, we are trying to reach a goal of $1,000. And if we hit that goal, we uh, will not only be able to send hundreds of kids in India to a two-week Bible camp, but we'll also be doing a big giveaway where we're giving away some Reformation study Bibles and some John MacArthur study Bibles. So it's a really awesome opportunity to get involved and to help some kids in India and to really uh, just take a step in uh, ministry and helping advance Grace Nation Ministries and also helping advance uh, ministries in, in India. So we're really excited about that. And so we pray and hope that you guys will consider financially supporting us in that. But to dive into our topic today and into our collaboration, we have a big group of people that'll be here today, and we'll be talking on a range of things within this specific uh, topic. And the topic is biblical manhood and biblical womanhood and what that looks like when we look at Scripture. I, I think so often we allow our culture to influence how we read scripture, but we should definitely be letting how we read scripture influence our culture, especially in the church. And so I just want to go ahead and introduce a good friend of mine, Hannah. She's going to be doing our introduction for today's episode and just be giving us a big overview of everything that we're going to be talking about. Hannah, welcome to the show. How are you doing? This is your first podcast this ever? Is, uh, yes, first podcast ever, and I'm doing well, Victor. I'm excited. Good. I'm so happy that you're here. So go ahead. Give us your introduction. What do you have for us? What is today going to, to hold, and, and uh, where are we going to be going with this? All right. So our topic today is going to be male and female roles, as Victor had said before. And I just kind of have a little introduction for everyone that kind of gives an overview of what all of us are going to be talking about. So I'm going to start off with reading Genesis 1:27, which we'll unpack later. But this is the theme verse for our podcast. Uh, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. We're talking about equality here. Male and female he created them. Not just male, not just female, but both together reflect the image of God. And this happens to be something most everyone would agree with. Yes, men and women are equal. The reality that's dragged into the controversy are roles. Often misunderstood and misrepresented, these roles are distorted by people who don't understand them. As a result, some believers are left confused with a feeling of defeat because it can be hard to understand, but not impossible. 
So we want to make the distinction that just because roles are different within the male and female positions, this does not devalue either of the sexes, nor does it count one as more important than the other. On the contrary, each role is equally as valuable as the other. Just because two things differ, that does not diminish value in any way, shape, or form. The perfect picture of these differing roles is seen in Christ being the head of the church, loving her with every ounce of blood he had to give, and the church submitting to her leader in all things with all reverence. It's also seen in Christ the Son's submission to God the Father. Both are equal in deity, yet both display different roles. The reason behind all the controversy is revealed in Genesis 3, the fall when sin entered the world. The woman was cursed with a desire to usurp her husband's authority, and the man was cursed with tendencies to dominate his wife. And now it has become a never-ending power struggle because Satan lies, pushing you to believe that to be truly equal is to be exactly the same. Yet the most detrimental part about it is when we give the enemy a foothold and believe the lies. This is not just a slight confusion in our theology, this is an identity crisis. Who are we as men and women of God and how do we live out this role we've been called to? We look around and see strife among people who call for a unity apart from God. The unity they seek is drowned out by the relativist opinions of the crowd who tries to set the cultural norm. Rather than gazing upon the beauty of unification among the sexes, one stumbles across a perilous divide in thought and theory, one human being asserting dominance over the other because of personal opinions. If there is to be unity, there has to be an agreed upon right and wrong. So who claims this ultimate authority? And I want you to ask yourself, who are you allowing to mold your mind and set the standard of who you are in Christ? Because Christ came to earth to die on behalf of our shortcomings and the sin we so easily slip into. And he rose from the dead to offer us unity, to offer us freedom from the bondage of confusion and chaos that plagues our minds. If we would just believe in him and confess him as Lord and God of our lives, then our eyes would become open to the beauty of God's plan and admiration would flow from our hearts when we marvel at the intricate design of male and female roles. Our hearts long to understand truth and Christ died to give it to us. So our goal today and our prayer is that greater light would be shed on male and female roles, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to a Christ-centered unity among brethren. As we unearth this together, I hope that you would experience how the perfect law of the Lord revives the soul and rejoices the heart. What an introduction. Thank you so much, Hannah. <clears throat> That really, I know that was a lot of information, and it might be uh, difficult to kind of uh, hear all of that and be like, whoa, what's going on? But that's what this podcast is for. We are going to be taking what you have just told us, and we are going to be unpacking it scripturally. And so thank you so much for the amazing uh, introduction. We want to welcome uh, our good friend Brittany onto the podcast. Brittany, how are you doing? Hi, guys. You're doing well? I am doing well. Is this also your first podcast? It is. Yes. Well, welcome to the podcasting world. Uh, thank you so much for being here and joining us. So what are we going to be talking about in this first segment, in this first section, after we've just moved on from the introduction, what, what's the theme and what are, what are you two going to be yeah. uh, discussing with us today? Just give us that overview as we dive into this uh, section. So we're going to focus on the foundation, which is found in the creation account. The creation so we're going to go through Genesis 2 and 3 mostly. Okay, yeah. awesome. So yeah, so let's get started. Genesis 2 and 3. Let's go. Tell us about it. Okay, well, I want to start first with 
I think it's important to realize in Genesis 1-1, um, talking about in the beginning, it's God who created the earth. So we have to see that he is the one who holds the authority. He's the one who's the designer, the creator. So we fall under his um, perfect design. So right. in this creation, he's the one who's doing the creating, and we just, um, in effect, walk in that. Right, like you know? we fall into yeah. the, his creation. Like sometimes we like to worship the creation right. rather than the creator, but we have to understand. Or we want to take it into our own hands. Like, right. oh, this is what I'm supposed to be. Like I right. want to be the higher one, right. the one with control. Absolutely. But he has the control and that's in this. what Hannah talked about in her introduction. That's what sin was, right? Like when we look at the fall, and I know we're going to dive into that in a second, mm-hmm. that's what it was. It was us placing our standards above what God had told us and commanded us to do. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, yeah, so let's dive into it. Let's get in it. Genesis uh, 2 is where we're going to be starting. Yeah, and we'll hit on the verse that Hannah said in the introduction first, and it's actually in chapter 1, okay. 27. So it's like the overview. God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And then Genesis 2 gives us the account of God. God actually created Adam first. So, right. and he was the final, like, um, so God created the earth, the plants, the animals, and then humans. Right. And so we are the pinnacle of creation. Absolutely. Um, reflecting his image. So 2, um, 7 says, Then Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So that's where we find God creating man. And then with woman, he said, um, It is not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. Right. So that's where we find the role of womanhood. Right. And so th- we see it played out in the creation account. And we and it's interesting because this is prior to sin entering the world, right? right. So these roles, these positions were defined for us perfectly before sin had entered the world. And yes. and then sin what we talked about is what distorted that, right? right. And so and and your words and we'll read it in Genesis 3, how did sin distort that? Uh, where where did that come in? Where did the distortions fall? Um, I would say it kind of turned things upside down instead of um, it falling perfectly into that perfect submission that you see. It kind of, you wanted control, you want it your own way. Um, you become self-centered instead right. of the perfect love, the sacrificial love, the submission. Right, and yeah, and we see this this struggle played all throughout Scripture, right? And we see this battle played, and and so if we move, kind of, like, are there other passages of Scripture that that kind of reveal to us this um, this topic? Because I know we have, you know, in the Old Testament, the creation account, we see this distortion, but did it continue? Like in the New Testament, do we have any examples? Of what's talked about in the New Testament? Uh, so yeah, Hannah, would you like to give us some insight? On that? Yeah, absolutely. So in Genesis, obviously, after the fall, where women, you know, have a tendency to usurp authority and men to dominate, um, Paul addresses it in 1 Timothy 2, uh, 11 through 15. And I'll just go ahead and read it for you so you know what I'm talking about. It says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love um, and holiness with self-control. So we see that um, it did remain 
after the fall happened, still to this day. Now, the thing to take into account, though, is the order of creation goes back to before the fall. Right. Mm -hmm. So we want to notice that, and so we can't say that, oh, you know, men and women would have just been equal in authority um, after the if the fall hadn't have happened, so right. to say. Right, because those roles were God defined yeah. before the fall, right? Exactly. And and this passage of scripture is uh, a, a great example. I think I think uh, Paul is is laying it out quite clearly, and and we see this happening even in our culture today, uh, and and it's it's running wild. Uh, and so yeah, do you have anything else? Uh, any other uh, insight for us, uh, kind of off of that verse, or, or anything else uh, on the yeah, topic? Yeah, actually. So um, what I kind of took from it is that men and women both have weaknesses, obviously. You know, because he talks about how Eve was deceived first. So that's not to say, you know, that Adam was just the prime event, and then there Eve and went. Um, she messed everything up. You know, but Paul says in another passage also that the sin fell on Adam. And so when he's referring to the order of creation, that man was formed first and then women, I wanted to take a quick look at Ephesians 5 um, in the context of marriage, that Adam was meant to have authority over Eve and she was to submit to him. So that's why Paul says in Ephesians, wives, submit to your husbands in all things. Husband, I'm sorry. Um, Obviously not if he's asking you to sin because ultimately you submit to Christ. And there's an order of headship, too. It's that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. Now, one thing to know also is that Paul says, wives be subject to your own husband. So he's not saying that all men have authority over all women. Um, The reason I bring up Ephesians while we were kind of talking about 1 Timothy is because that's another place where having authority is found and I wanted to distinguish the difference between the Ephesians passage and the 1 Timothy passage. Um, Because whenever he brings up in 1 Timothy, uh, exercising authority over a man, again, is this still in the context of marriage? And I would say that the answer would have to be no because one woman wouldn't be married to all the men in the church, nor do all men have authority over all women. So the context here, I would say, is referring to the pastor-elder role of the church. I know this passage is one that is just constantly kind of skewed from its actual meaning, and some people just don't even go into it in depth because they don't understand it. Right. So the part, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And to better understand this, I kind of went into Titus understanding the qualifications for a pastor elder. You know, he has to have the ability to teach sound doctrine and has to exhort and rebuke with all authority. So teaching and authority from the pulpit, I would say, is what Paul is addressing here. He's not saying that women aren't gifted in teaching and should never speak. On the contrary, I would say that in Titus 2, he tells the older women to teach what is good and train the younger women. That's a command to all older women. So it's absurd to say that women aren't supposed to teach at all. Many women have the spiritual gift of teaching. It's just that it's exercised in the right context. And Paul also brings it up in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35, that women should keep silent in the churches. And I'd say that this passage runs parallel to 1 Timothy. And it all boils down to Genesis in the order of creation. This is the way God ordained things to be. It was no accident that man was created first and then woman. Um, If we strive for anything out of God's intentional design, we lose sight of the beauty he created it to be. And you can be rest assured that any desire for something contrary to scripture 
is not from God. Agreed. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's crazy good. Yeah, and you brought up so many good points. And talking about the qualifications for elders and pastors and things like that, like, and, and we read that Paul lays that out in Titus. He also lays it out in the next chapter of uh, in Timothy. And so we see him always saying when he's talking about qualifications for elders, he, mm-hmm. he. And then, and then we move on to deacons, and it, it shifts, right? And, so, yeah. and, and we hear the argument that, that this is a cultural thing. Right, And I think it's a really weak argument for a few reasons. The first reason being that Paul never speaks to, to his audience based off what the culture is experiencing. I think that's big. He, he speaks to the audience off of the divine inspiration that, mm-hmm. of the command that God is giving him. We have to understand that. And, and I like what you brought up, how, how you said women can still teach and, and can still and can still Commanded do those things go. right yeah. and and we see those examples all throughout the bible uh with with in the old testament you have deborah mm-hmm. right acting as as the prophetess you have um uh, examples in the new testament uh with mary and, and other things like lydia. that and lydia exactly and when we take uh i, I had an interesting discussion this week where someone were, was using those examples to say to to define elder roles and say yeah. like well this this says that we can uh that we that they can be mm-hmm. elders and and i think it's i think it's a really weak argument just based off the fact that you're using uh, circumstantial uh arguments to argue against strict commands that are laid out in scripture and so they don't contradict each other they actually run quite parallel with mm-hmm. each other. And I think we do, when, we, when we take time and dissect the scriptures and we take time to understand these things and, and just really uh, search our hearts, we see those things play out all throughout scripture. Would, right. you, would you guys agree? Yeah. What other examples do you think you can find of maybe uh, women uh, in the Old or New Testament doing that? I can think of a few with uh, Esther and Ruth. and like, Just right. those stories um, are all over the place. I don't know if you guys have yeah. any other examples. I think one of my favorites is the whole lineage of Christ. The fact that in Matthew he mentions Rahab, um, Ruth, and those people. So God does love women and holds them up. And he's designed it in such a beautiful way. And we should be thankful for that right. and want to walk in it. Absolutely. Uh, so while, while I have you guys here, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about while, while we're kind of on this topic? Are there any other points that you'd like to bring up before we kind of move on? What else do you uh, have for us before we end kind of this first segment? Okay, I do have a quote that I want to share that's just a beautiful reminder of, I know we talked about women being created from man, but um, we didn't go into detail on this yet. He took man's rib. And so this is a quote from Matthew Henry. It says, women were created from the rib of man to be beside him, not from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart, and to be loved by him. So it's just a really cool reminder of, um, you know, it is a beautiful thing. Right. And there is order. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So many great things. Hannah, do you you have anything to add on to that after? uh... Uh, Yeah, after kind of talking about, you know, 1 Timothy and the fall and that, you know, Eve sinned first and everything. I don't want anyone who's listening to get the feel that, oh, women, like, well, what are we supposed to do? You know what I mean? How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to live? Is man supposed to be just this head honcho and we just listen to everything that he says? And so I kind of just have a list here. I kind of wanted to inspire you to step into the freedom of embracing what true womanhood is all about, glorifying Christ in your God-given nature. 
And so I'll just read some things that scripture says about womanhood because it's beautiful and it's all over the place and you miss it if you're not looking for it, if you're so focused on, you know, dwelling on the things that you can't do. Mm. So scripture says women are to be an act worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything, kind-hearted and wise, submitting to your own husband as to Christ and to love your husband and children and to be reverent in the way you live, self-controlled, pure, busy at home, to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning yourself not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls um, or expensive clothes, but good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And I think one of them that we all know, but I hope you're just kind of blessed by the reading of it, is in Proverbs 31. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read 25 through 31. It says, uh, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So my prayer is that, you know, women, you wouldn't be afraid to embrace the beautiful character of a God-fearing woman because he's called us to so much more than fear. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's all, and that passage of scripture is beautiful. And I think it really does, uh, it's an encouragement. It is. And I think uh, there, there's so many misconceptions that can come in with this, uh, what's, what's coined as the theological term, the complementarian view. And, and, and it's just not taken sometimes as uh, seriously or it's just kind of cast down because there are these uh, X, Y, and Z misconceptions. And so taking the time to kind of dissect the scriptures and understand that we see uh, way more glorification for yeah. God when we're working in unity than when we're having this power struggle. And isn't and, that our purpose? Is right. to glorify God. <laughs> like, like when is God glorified when, when we're having this power struggle right. uh, instead of working in unity? Like if there's this power struggle between Jesus and the Father, then, then that's a big problem. But no, right. they're working in unity together to accomplish God's will in, our, in this kingdom and in the next kingdom. And yeah. so we see these things played all throughout scripture. We see these things in the Trinity. We see these things between marriage. We see these things between the church and Christ. It's littered all throughout the New Testament. And it is such a beautiful thing yes. to look at. Hannah, Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time to be here on today's podcast. Thanks for having uh, us. It, Thanks for having us. It is an amazing opportunity. I hope you guys um, definitely enjoyed uh, having you on here. And so it, it, was there any last thing that you guys want to talk about? Uh, we cover everything. We kind of get all the points. I think we're good. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. We're going to kind of end this segment. We're going to be moving into segment two here in just a few seconds. Uh, And so just enjoy the small break, and we'll be back. Thank you guys for listening. You are listening to Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. And welcome back to the Bringing Grace to Nations podcast. Uh, We just just heard some amazing stuff. Uh, And so I'm excited to introduce my next two guests, Billy. You yeah. made it, man. How's yeah. it going? Hey, I'm sorry I was stuck in traffic, <laughs> and, but, I'm, well, but I'm here now. This is your segment. Okay. You weren't <laughs> stuck in traffic. No, so welcome, guys. Uh, Derek. 
Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, who, thanks, who is, man. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? Derek. My friends call me D-Rock. D-Rock. <laughs> no one calls you that. <laughs> I don't have any friends. Probably because you don't have friends. <laughs> but no, so guys, welcome to the podcast. Seriously. Thank you. Uh, I, I've, Derek, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while, so I'm glad yeah. that we were able to do this collaboration yeah. and uh, have you guys. What did you guys think of the previous section? Oh, fantastic. I loved it. I loved how a woman's perspective on a woman's role was mm. presented so yeah. good. And it's tricky when a guy tries to do that. Right, which is yeah. why we had two women do it. Yeah. Because. And the emphasis on scripture. Mm, I mean, like, bring right. it back to the Bible, the establishment and continuation of gender roles both prior to and following the fall. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was absolutely great. And yeah. so we really appreciate their insight and everything they had to say. So mm. we're moving on to the next segment. We're which in round is. two. We're, we're kind of building off yeah. of the foundation that was set for us. So, guys, take it away. Where are we starting? What scripture is we going to be looking at? Absolutely, How are we going to yeah. build off uh, what we were talking about with the creation account and things like that? Yeah, well, I mean, specifically, you know, when, when Hannah and Brittany are up here, they were talking about the, just like I said, the establishment and the creation of the gender roles at creation, and then prior to the fall, and then the distortion following the fall. Right. Uh, so what we're going to be talking about now is specifically the restoration of the roles in Christ, the fulfillment mm. in Jesus, mm. um, how the mystery of marriage itself, the great drama of marriage is ultimately a reflection of Christ and his pursuit of his bride. And we're going to be taking a look at what scripture says in the New Testament, specifically in Ephesians 5, about marital roles uh, in the New Testament age right. and how that is a how that is a reflection of God's original intent for creation. And so the reason why we brought Derek in is because, you know... The only reason we brought Derek yeah, in. Yeah, because he's... We really don't think he has that much to Oh, add. yeah, yeah. No, he doesn't. But he has the experience. So he's a married man. He's a dad. Right. And you and I, we're two single guys. Right. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. So we, we can't wait to ask you some questions. That, yeah, I'm ready. That are just flowing around, just from your experiences and how you handle things biblically. Yeah. Um, just in your marriage. So yeah, we're excited to do that. Um, so yeah, let's dive into Ephesians five. Let's dive into to the topic. Absolutely. So, yeah. so how are we going to be building off what we just talked about? How does Jesus fulfill this, and how does it look biblically? Yeah, I think the best thing that we could do right now is to differentiate between the distinction between the two roles you mentioned in the last segment. You know that we're we're specifically discussing the complementarian view. Right. of gender roles because we, we believe and we hold that that is the most biblical view in our convictions. That right. that is the most biblical view and that is not to say in any way that man is greater than woman, that woman is in any way, shape, or form inferior to men, man, but that they're completely equal in value, in worth. They are co-heirs <laughs> in Christ, uh, but there are different roles. Right. And those roles, though distinct, do complement one another. They Thus the name complementarianism. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. So I think the best way... Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> You're there too. <laughs> if we actually took a field trip, us uh, to uh, Reform Theological Seminary. We did. We did. Yeah, he he had shotgun and you were in my trunk. <laughs> I was in your trunk. That was fantastic. It was yeah. great. Okay, so Ephesians five. Let's get at it. Let's go. Yeah, he wants to forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> let's get at it. Ephesians okay. five. Let's start. So I think uh, I'll just read through the passage. Okay. And then we'll go into specifically what the Bible has to say about the wife's role and then the husband's role. Right, exactly. All right, so here we go. Uh, Ephesians 5, starting verse 22, says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, and then moving on to the husband's role in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now husbands, it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Talking about the one flesh between right. husband and wives. And then quotes Genesis. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, husbands, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wow. So I think that this is probably the most profound passage on marriage that we see in the New Testament. Okay. I would say. Absolutely. And I would say that it, it perfectly lays out um, the duties, the obligations, the responsibilities um, within the home of men and women, wives mm -hmm. and husbands, right. and how they're to live in a way that reflects God's original design uh, and how that's fulfilled in Christ. Right, yeah, and it's interesting to see the way God is speaking, it, it, or Paul is speaking uh, through, God is speaking through Paul. Uh, God, he's not just giving commands to women, right? Mm, like absolutely. he's not just like, like you need to do this, this, and this, yeah. and men, like, whatever. No, like, it's, God, the command is for both men and women. Now, they're different, but he's yeah. giving a command to both, and I think that's interesting, because so often, again, we were talking about misconceptions. Yeah. The misconception is guys can do whatever they want, and they dominate the woman, and that's not how scripture Absolutely portrays not. it at all. Absolutely not, and we'll go into that, the husband's role, but we, we should make and establish this, that the Bible in no way does support male tyranny within marriage. Uh, the service that we see husbands providing for their wives is in no way selfish or domineering. There's no room for selfishness within the marriage covenant that God created. Right. And, and, and I think the reason why we want to tackle this is because marriage is the first covenant that God gave to mankind, the first horizontal covenant between human beings that God gave to mankind. Uh, the first song that we see in right. the Bible is the song of Adam uh, singing about his wife, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she came out of man. Uh, there's a seriousness to this. Um, and we see marriage today being attacked in our in our day in society. Hannah touched on that a lot Absolutely. With, with things like radical feminism and things like that. Um, so I think it's important that we just go back to the scriptures and see what they have to say in regards to different roles. So specifically, we'll, we'll talk about, first and foremost, the wife. Okay. And her role. And, and Hannah touched on this, uh, and Brittany too, they, they touched on this a lot. Um, so I, I won't recap everything they said. I will say that Hannah brought up um, how in 1 Corinthians um, it talks about the hierarchy of headship within like submission to authority. Right. Uh, so talking about how, how God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of every man and the, and the head of, um, and woman. Woman right. is the, well, man is the head of every woman. Right. Specifically talking about marriage context. Right, the context exactly. of marriage. Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's like amazing that God gave us that. Now we can see that in yeah. scripture, right? And it's such a blessing. And so like, what does that, how does that practically play out? Like, like yeah, yeah. when we look at the theology of it and we look mm -hmm. at the, uh, at what God's word says about it, how does that practically play out? How, yeah. do, how do we tie that bridge together? Okay, so here I'll, I'll ask, um, so I'll go into what that means by the word submission when it comes to wives. Okay. And then I, I'll ask Derek a question about the way his wife submits to him. Mm. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, let's oh, yeah. do it. So great. submission, so yeah, talk yeah. about it. What so, do we see? So the word submission in the Greek uh, in that passage is translated hopatasso, uh, um, which is the continuing form of the verb. Right. Uh, it's not just a one-time thing. It is a continual attitude which becomes a pattern of behavior in everyday life. Uh, so this isn't just a one-time thing. This is something that the wife continually does for the husband. Uh, the scriptures say, in everything, submit to your husbands. Right. Uh, so we need to understand that submission is not a bad thing, and, and in no way does it imply less worth or inferiority. Christ himself submitted to the Father. Uh, he submitted to God the Father. And so in the same way, when he's appealing 
wives to submit their husbands, that's in no way to say that the husband has the right to domineer. I think it's important that we, that we make sure that we understand when we read this passage, us specifically as men, that these verses were not written to us. Right. These were written to the wives. We, we are not to take this and force it on them. Uh, this is their God-given role, and we'll get into ours, but, but specifically, I think it's important to know that submission, submission biblically is it, it's a joyous experience when it's in response to godly leadership. I naturally submit to the men in my life who have discipled me because I knew that they were out for my best interest, because I knew that they wanted to provide for me, uh, for my ne- meet my needs physically and spiritually. Uh, mm-hmm. They were nurturing me. Uh, and that's what we see um, in the context of marriage, that the husband is nurturing his wife, he's meeting her needs, he is self-sacrificially serving her. Uh, and in response to that, uh, the submission comes easier because submission is natural when it comes to godly leadership for the Christian. Right. Uh, so I think it's important. Would you, would you agree? Uh, yeah, yeah, completely, 100%. And I think that's exactly what the scriptures are saying. Right? And I liked what you said when you touched on it. When, when you know, we're following godly submission, like, it, it's the response to it is joy. Absolutely. Like, and that's what we talked about in the last in the last part, right? Yeah, like following God's th- design is always the most right, satisfying thing. Following that unity, that desire to, yeah. to be unified and glorify God in unity is is a m- much better way and the way to glorify God. Instead of having this power struggle and the way we see Jesus submit to God and the mm-hmm. way the Son submitted to God doesn't make Jesus any less God. Absolutely. Right? And we see that it, just because the, the woman has... Is, is supposed to submit to a godly man doesn't make her any less of a person or of, of an equal, right? And we see that played out all throughout Scripture. And so, yeah, I love the points that you brought up yeah, and, for and, that. And I think I've heard this example that marriage in of itself is a drama. It's a drama that God's directing, and ultimately it's meant to reflect Christ and his church. And, and we'll get into that a little bit more with the husband's role, uh, a little bit more deeper into that. But, but Derek, let me ask you, um, your wife, mm-hmm. and you've, you've talked about your wife many times, uh, we were on the RTS trip. You, you went aside and you talked to her for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, So and, and I've heard great things about her. She's uh, awesome. Yeah, shout out to Derek's wife. Yeah. I got to meet her Laura, once. that's her name. <laughs> I got to hey, meet baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, we have, so, so, I mean, we have some questions for you. And yeah. So, like, okay, so um, when you're talking about a female's role, I really think it's interesting when you look at Scripture and it addresses uh, women and men together, you, mm-hmm. you, you usually see the women being addressed first to be submissive because it's difficult for a godly man to lead a rebellious unsubmitted woman right Someone so <clears throat> right so you, yeah. you you regularly see a woman being addressed first like hey this is the kind of woman you need to be uh, which i think is interesting because submitting to a man is very difficult for uh for women in general i think because it, it in their nature it doesn't jive well right um, and that was uh, some of part of the fall a woman will desire right. the role of the man and and so you see that um, and women thrive off of being secure and feeling safe and mm-hmm. and a lot of times you see women today going and getting that for themselves and and so they have an idea of they can they build that for themselves but in in uh, this particular verse, you see a lot clearer how what a godly man is supposed to be for that submitted wife, right. and uh, I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think there are so many things in this portion of scripture that call out to men to rise to this challenge of being a man, uh, because that's what that's what God's daughters deserve is this kind of man who is like Christ. 
Mm. Absolutely, 100%. Would, would you say that when it says um, in the scriptures, you know, to wives submit in everything to their husbands, mm-hmm. practically, like, in your life, how does that play out? Like, like for instance, like, when it comes yeah. to decisions, mm-hmm. you both discuss it together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's that partnership with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there's a, there's a, a story that I heard. It was like a, a think about this question before you answer it. And uh, it was asked to a bunch of married guys, and we all got it wrong. And the, the question was, um, uh, let's say you have uh, some extra cash. It's not needed for your family, but it's extra. And you find this guy who has this investment, and you talk to him, and you got this cash, and you got these great plans. It's, a, it's an investment opportunity. It's going to bring you tons more money down the road. And uh, so it's not life or death, but you want to do this, and you talk to the guy. It's great. It sounds good. And you tell your wife all about it, and she says, this guy's a con man. This is a fool. Uh, you don't want to do this. This is all bad news. I don't like it. Um, what do you do as a as a leader, as a husband, right? And so we sort of looked at each other and blinked a little, and we said, "All right, well, you're the leader, so you just you just do what you think you should do." Uh, and the the guy leading the group was very helpful. And he said, um, "You're you want to take the role of like a player coach, so." You play on the team, but you're also the coach, and you have to decide which one of your players is the strongest in a certain scenario. So uh, I think marriage is a great picture of teamwork because you don't have all of the same, uh, as a man, all of the same uh, strengths Strengths as a woman does, right? right? She Her brain works totally different. It's like noodles and wires all zapping around. I got boxes, right? I just right, yeah. one one thing at a time, and a woman's mind just doesn't work like a man's mind, which is extremely helpful. Right. Uh, so he told us the the right answer to this question was: you decide if your wife's being served, like this scripture says. Mm. Is she being provided for? Is she being protected? Is are her needs and her uh, fears and her feelings being cared for? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if she feels at the end of the day, after you measure and weigh everything, and she's not comfortable with it, your job is to nurture her heart Absolutely. and to show her that you care for her yeah. more than you care for some financial gain or some other project. Right. So. Yeah. Um, That's good. Yeah. So I, I like telling that story because I got it totally wrong, but then I saw, oh, yeah. Like it makes sense. It does. Like make, I get it. Yeah, it no. Sense, yeah, right? and that that yeah. sheds some light. Like I love the example of the kind of the player slash slash coach. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's, it definitely sh- sheds some light. So yeah, uh, what else do you guys have? Like, are there any other questions? Are there any cool. other oh. yeah, practically yeah. speaking? I think, I think um, it's important that we understand. Derek touched on this. I think it was a great transition. Just that the um, the the role of the husband is intended to, and biblically, we're called to reflect Christ and His attitude of humble submission uh, and servitude, uh, self-sacrifice when it comes to the service of, of our wives. You know, so I, it says in this passage to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I think what I love about this is that, you know, I think the natural fear that we see in the first century with wives uh, is that, and, and this is talking about in 1 Peter 3 where it talks about the wife being the weaker vessel and how husbands are to honor their wives as the weaker vessel. And, and many commentators and scholars think that, that it refers to uh, their physical limitations and how men are generally stronger than her. The fear is there that, that a husband will domineer over his wife or bring harm to her. But we see the complete opposite in Christ and his composure towards his bride. He would never break his bride. He was broken for her. And that's the beauty uh, that we mm. see in the gospel that's and right. how it's reflected in marriage. And, and even the first Adam, the first Adam was broken 
for his wife. Yeah. He was broken so that she might be created. In the same way, Christ was broken for his bride so that she might be restored and brought back to God. So I think it's important that we understand that when we have this attitude of self-sacrifice, our job as husbands, and you and I, we're single guys, like we're not married yet. Right. And, and you know, but, but we're called to cultivate that uh, we're called to cultivate that kind of environment where we are continually serving and seeking the betterment of them. Uh, the only reason you should be marrying someone is if it's bettering you. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but mainly that it's bettering you and her in Christ. Right. And that you can do everything you can to minister to her physical and spiritual needs, no matter the personal cost. Uh, just like mm -hmm. Jesus, no matter the personal cost, no matter what it might cost you, it might end bloody. Uh, but it's worth it. Yeah, and you know, a lot of guys that I've met in the church uh, going through Bible studies and things like that is they sort of stick on this, um, the idea of giving themselves up for her as sort of this protection. I got I to gotta go get uh, food. I got to provide. I got to protect. I got to be able to watch out for her physically. And, and they leave out the spiritual aspect. If you read the next Absolutely. Uh, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Mm. And this has been one of my greatest joys is finding um, finding first a church that preaches and teaches sound doctrine so that uh, Sundays when we sit in church, my wife is being fed the Word of God, and then being active and uh, proactive for her, uh, making occasion for her to go to women's Bible studies and yeah. spend time with women or spend time in the Word by taking yeah. things off of her plate or mm -hmm. doing things that w would allow her those times so that she c so I can foster time for her to flourish in her own spiritual walk yeah. for her good. That, that's such yeah. a huge part of um, being successful in a marriage and, and living for yeah. the mission and for the gospel. And at the home, you'd say that you you are that spiritual leader. Yeah, like absolutely. You would say, you would say you're, you're like the pastor, priest, of your home, yeah. prophet of yeah. your home. Yeah. You are representing your family to God, representing God to your family. That's right. And that's and a heavy weight, it man. Is. It is. It so, always is. So uh, I, I tell all my guy friends, like, go get married. Do it. But don't do it um, flippantly. It's a heavy burden. Hmm. Uh, but, man, is it, it's so worth it. Being right. married, having kids, it's, a, it's awesome. That's exciting. You can, see, you can see so many aspects of God's glory, His mercy, His grace, His steadfastness, His unfailing love in these, these relationships of marriage and children and family. It's, it's Especially when it's done in, in the context and through the yes. roles that yes. God That's right. has given to us. Right? As we walk in the roles God designed us for, yeah. it, it's, it's so beautiful. Right. It's yeah. really a beautiful one. Yeah, absolutely. And so it yeah. talks about in the passage, you know, further on, we read that, you know, men and women, uh, in, like in marriage, within marriage, the man becomes one with the woman. It's, it's quoting Genesis yeah. uh, back to the creation account of how they are one flesh. They are one in every way. There's an intimacy there uh, that that does not, that no other human relationship can exceed. Uh, your wife is your number two, biblically, after God. Uh, and, and she is one with you. And you are both pursuing the Lord together and you are seeking the spiritual betterment of her uh, in every single way. I think that's important we know that. And the very end of it, uh, the very end of that chapter is, ta is talking about how the mystery of marriage is profound. Mystery being mm -hmm. what was once hidden is now revealed and fulfilled in Christ. And we see Christ and his bride and we see this beautiful picture of Christ being broken for her and us having that same attitude when it comes to it. And we gotta understand, Christ was broken for a rebellious bride. 
Yeah, that's true. Husbands will, will give an account to God of how mm-hmm. they led their families, regardless of if the wife is fulfilling her roles. Husbands are called to love them sacrificially. Yeah. And there's this beautiful quote by Matt Chandler uh, from his book, The Mingling of Souls, and he says, there is a beauty even in loving without response because that kind of love is truly selfless. When we love with no expectation or promise of, of them reciprocating our love, we know what it means to sacrifice and deny ourselves in ways we wouldn't otherwise have. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I actually just got done preaching a sermon today on uh, Hosea. Yeah. And so, so talking oh, about um, you know the relationship between <laughs> husband and wife. That's a bad wife. deal, man. Yeah. Ouch. But it shows that selfish, yeah. selfless love that we were talking yeah. about that you just mentioned. Uh, yeah. it, it shows that, and we see a perfect example yeah. of that, and it's a beautiful parallel to Absolutely. the all-time biggest best act performance of selfless love, yeah. which is Jesus on the cross. Yeah. And so we see all of these relations intertwined, yeah. perfectly pointing back to Jesus, and we see Hosea and Gomer's relationship being an example of what uh, Jesus did for us on the cross. Yes. And, and we have the freedom, because of the cross, to walk in the roles that have been outlined for us yeah. to glorify God the most. And taking Absolutely. all those things into account, it just shows the beauty and the majesty yeah. of Jesus. Us. Um, and so, yeah. I think I think uh, I think you you said it perfectly and beautifully. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so yeah, before we're we're kind of running out of time on yeah, this time yeah. segment. We got Are there any other things. questions yeah. or any other things that we want to talk about in regards regarding marriage and yes. anything else? Yes, and just really two quick things. One theological thing, and then just really just really brief practical questions for Derek, being a married man. Uh, the first one, you know, we wanted to mention that marriage is not human relations. These are not permanent. Uh, Jesus addresses this in Matthew 22 with the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. And he said that at the resurrection, uh, they, w- they will not be married or given in marriage, but they'll be like the angels of heaven. We'll receive resurrection bodies. We will not be given in marriage. Uh, so this beautiful picture, this beautiful drama that we see on earth is temporary, but ultimately it reflects to Christ and it's fulfilled in Christ. And that when Christ returns, we will receive pleasure forevermore being married. It's not that there's no marriage in heaven. There is marriage in heaven, but it's marriage to simply between Christ and his bride. And we'll receive pleasure in that beyond what we could ever anticipate on this earth. And our marriages that we see today, godly marriages that seek to glorify the Lord and live in within his context, within his standards and boundaries set in his word, those kind of marriages are most satisfying and they completely, completely re- reflect and display the gospel to an unbelieving world. And, and we will see the fulfillment of that when Jesus returns. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think mm-hmm. um, knowing how great marriage is in, in my own life and enjoying everything that marriage has and, uh, and all the ups and downs and challenges and growing makes me anticipate heaven even more. Because if this is just a shadow, this glorious, beautiful, yeah. intimate, uh, deep, satisfying relationship you can have with a woman in marriage, uh, I can't. My, my brain just gets all crazy trying to think yeah. about what could heaven be like. Absolutely. Absolutely. If it's just a shadow, if this yeah. is just some foggy image of what's true, Right. I'm jazzed, man. Absolutely. Jesus, come. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So as we, uh, guys, thank you so much for being uh, on the podcast today. Thank you, man. Um, Thank we, you. I, I really appreciate it. It was great. It was uh, great to be back. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see you next week. You'll be here next week. But, uh, Derek, thanks so much yeah. for being here. Uh, you got it. Thanks for really having Really appreciated me, your insight and your experience. And uh, we got a lot of wisdom. We're yeah. grateful uh, for you guys. Absolutely. I'm 12 years into marriage, man. Hope I learned something. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so, yeah, so as we're closing this segment, we're going to be moving on into our next section. Guys, again, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. 
don't tune away. We're going to be transitioning right now, uh, and we'll see you guys in a second. You are listening to Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. Welcome back to the Bringing uh, Grace to the Nations podcast. I am, again, I'm your host, Victor, and we have had two amazing segments where we've been able to discuss um, just what biblical womanhood and biblical manhood look like, what it, what it looks like in the context of a marriage, and what it looks like uh, when, when we look at it through the lens of Jesus and the redemption that, that he's allowed us to live in. Uh, we've had two amazing segments. And so as we move into this uh, third and final segment of the show, uh, I get to welcome two of my uh, just great friends and people that I go to school with, uh, Stephen and Andrew. Stephen, how are you doing, man? You doing well? Well, good, man. How this, are you doing? This is your first podcast. This is my first podcast I've, with you. I know. Oh, yes. it is. Okay. Yes. I've wanted to get you on the podcast a few times before, and so I'm glad that we finally can uh, yeah, uh, schedule's crazy, get man. you on schedule's here. Crazy. Yeah, I know. And Andrew, welcome to the podcast. This is your first time on the uh, Bring Grace and Nation podcast, too. So uh, welcome to it. Uh, we... Uh, are excited to have you. Glad to be here. Um, so yeah, so as as we're diving into this, uh, Stephen, I know you have we, we have some amazing things to talk about in this kind of conclusion, kind of summing everything up, and uh, taking what what um, Billy and Derek talked about, and 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 taking what uh, Brittany and Hannah talked about, and kind of like showing like how are we supposed to look at this? Uh, we've talked a lot about married couples, and we've talked a lot about uh, things between husband and wife. Like I'm not married, you're not married. Like what is it? What what does it have to do with us? Uh, so we're gonna, just going to kind of dive into some of these things, and so I just want to hand the microphone off to you, and what, do you, what are your thoughts on it? What do you have for us as we kind of uh, dive into this section? Yeah, that's a really valid point. Like, a lot of us younger guys and girls that are listening to this podcast right now, like, we're not, we aren't married, or, you know, we're still looking for a wife, or looking for a husband, and, and uh, you know, in the meantime, what are we supposed to do as Christians, the believers in Christ? And, you know, we're still called to live through the same principles that Derek just talked about, that Brittany and Hannah just talked about. And they did a great job explaining um, all that information. You know, Billy as well asked some great questions to Derek. Um, so, yeah, we are still called to submit, but you might you might ask me, well, who are we submitting to? Right, exactly. It's especially for uh, unmarried women, right? Like, like what, where's that, where does it all fall into place, and where do we find in Scripture? Right, so our submission is going to be to Christ, man and woman, right. if we're single. Absolutely. Uh, and also, obviously, for married right, couples right, right. as well. But t- specifically talking to the singles out there, like, no, we are called to submit to Christ. Um, and an excellent uh, place to see this is in Philippians 2, uh, verse 7. Uh, you know, it says that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about the kenosis. Okay. Do you know what the kenosis is? Enlighten us. Oh, this is so exciting. This is almost sci-fi stuff. It's exciting. Okay. All right. I'm going to explain this to you to the best of my ability. Okay. So kenosis is actually the Greek uh, the Greek word used for the doctrine of Christ's self-emptying in his incarnation, mm. right? And when he came to earth. Right. Um, so basically Jesus is, is it's a self-renunciation, not an emptying of himself, of deity, right? Like right. he's not giving away his his divine nature, right. um, nor nor is it an exchange of of deity for humanity. Um, but what it is is he he is uh, oh he didn't cease to be God either. Like let's get that let's right. get that no, clear absolutely. Real quick. Like, Jesus did not ever cease being God uh, while he was here ministering on earth. Instead, what he did was he set aside his heavenly glory of a face to face relationship with God 
All right. He set aside his independent authority and, uh, you know, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Now, Andrew, you brought something up in something you were reading about, uh, you know, in the cross of Christ that it was an excellent point. I just, if you can, please read that, that or talk about that section real quick. Yeah, real quick, as I'm trying to find it, I would also like to give a little background that rereading the truths of the cross and the sacrifice, it's really brought to life the scriptures and what we see in submission. And so I hope that it also communicates that as I read it. Uh, speaking of the atonement, Stott writes, if I can find it, one moment, I apologize. Speaking on the atonement, uh, Stott writes, talk of law, honor, justice, and the moral order is true only insofar as these are seen as expressions of God's own character. Atonement is a necessity because it arises from within God himself. So when we're talking about submission, and we're looking at this model, the complementarian model, I love it and I fell in love with it because I fell in love with God in Christ. See, within the Trinity, there's a unity amongst three persons. They cannot be divided. So in the kenosis, in Christ becoming man, he never once lost deity. It would be an impossibility because God never changes believe it's in James where it says he varies not. Right. And when I'm thinking on this, what my heart is, anytime I speak on the scriptures, speak of the person of Christ, speak of God himself, we must ask the same question that Satan actually asked Adam and Eve, and it did God really say? So that's what I come even now, speaking on the atonement, speaking on Christ emptying himself. Is it really true? Mm. This is the question that we all have to ask. So this is Absolutely. We're getting back to Christ becoming man. Absolutely. Right. So let's talk about Jesus' limitations in humanity, right? So when you look at John, in the book of John, verse or chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And then if you look at John, uh, chapter 19, verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all, that all was now finished, said, I thirst. All right, let's get something clear. God does not get tired or thirsty. But in these two passages, you see Jesus being tired and being thirsty. Right. All right, so that, you know, he was operating, he was, he was choosing to operate on earth, in, you know, in humanity with limitation. Um, also in Matthew 24, verse 36, it tells us, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Um, so we might be asking ourselves, like, if Jesus was God, how could he not know everything? Because God does. Right. And you see in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So while Jesus was on earth, he, he surrendered the use of some of his divine attributes. You see, but Jesus was still perfectly holy. He was just, merciful, gracious, righteous, and loving, but to varying degrees. Jesus was not omniscient or omnipotent while he was here on earth in mm. his earthly ministry. Um, so when it comes to kenosis, we often focus too much, though, on, on what Jesus gave up. 
Right. Um, the kenosis also deals with what he took on. Okay. All right. Jesus, Jesus added to himself a human nature and humbled himself. All right. Like he, he took he took on the challenge. Right. Like he became man. Right. All right. Um, so Jesus went from being glory of glories in heaven to being a human being who was put to death on a cross. Right. Like that is insane. That's too extreme. Like that's yeah. You, that's crazy. You, you literally own everything. Yeah. Everything is within your control and power, and you know everything, and you have everything, and you're everywhere, and every second of every, you know, yeah. of everything. And he set that aside to take on the the, the meekness and weakness even. Of, and, and the of, punishment of what we deserved. Right? Of, of humanity, yeah. and then he died on the cross. So Philippians 2, 7, uh, and 8 says, uh, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you see, this is the ultimate act of humility that, that God shows us, all right? Like the God of the universe became a human being and died for his creation. And we as Christians, single, married, whatever, like we need to be living out this humility through submission. Like this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate act of humility in submission right. to the will of the Father. And we need to be submitting to that will as well in everything we do. Um, so, you know, the kenosis is Christ taking on human nature with all of its limitations, except Jesus did this with no sin. Wow. All right. And this is this is where the issue comes in. And if you all don't mind, I want to hijack the mic real quick yeah. and share something. All right. So let's talk about the most important thing ever. And I'm, I'm serious when I say this is the most important thing ever. The urgency of this message cannot be overstated. People are dying every day and suffering internal punishment. Like, they're, they're in hell, burning. Okay? And this is where they're going to spend eternity. Our time here on earth is a speck. Eternity is eternity. Try, try and comprehend that in your mind, like the difference between 50, 80 years and eternity. Mm. It's mind-boggling. And there are people who are spending eternity in hell. And this is horrible. But we've been commanded and directed by Jesus who has all authority in heaven and earth to go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all the commands that he's given us. So how are we capable of doing this? Because we're dead and we're blind, and there's no hope for any of us unless someone does something to save us. So let's talk about what Jesus had to do in order to be the one to save us. He died on that cross, all right? So I want to read Ephesians 2 because I think this is the best mm. um, the best way to just read what the Scripture has to say about the Gospel. Uh, so Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following, this course, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and the and <clears throat> were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind listen to this this is the most important part that everybody needs to hear but god being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wow. God has chosen his people, and he has saved them. And there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. Only God and Jesus Christ can do that, and he did that. And I want Andrew, Andrew, explain, I want you, if you can, just explain the importance, the importance of, of this message that we are giving a call right now. This, and this is a free gift, right? Like, this is free. Completely and entirely free for us to receive. Because Absolutely. Christ absorbed the wrath of God that was reserved for unrepentant man because of the fall that we've spoken on. It cost him everything. He left his throne so that he can redeem man. And so because of this call, because of this precious gift that we are entrusted as believers, so those who believe in Christ that have placed their trust in the work of Christ, perfect sinless life, dying on the cross, buried, on the, uh, buried for three days, risen on the third day, seen by eyewitnesses. Mm. More than 500 actual human beings saw a risen Jesus. And then his eyewitnesses, his, his disciples that also became apostles, saw him ascend into the heavens. This is the gospel. This is the treasure. This is the wisdom of God. This is the power of God. Therefore, what do we do? And it's on my heart right now to revisit Philippians 2, but go back to the beginning. It says, Philippians 2, 1 and 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. In other words, we have a unity. And this is seen in the expression of the submission that we've been speaking on in the previous segments. This is the very reflection that God himself has within his economies that he's revealed himself to us. This is an act of love, unconditional, sacrificial. Why do believers come together to encourage one another? Because it is the greatest message that even echoes in Hollywood. It's known as redemption. We all have it in our hearts. I don't care where we are. We want to see the hero win. We don't want to see evil prevail. And, and when, when do you see the hero die for the villain? When does the hero die for the villain? Never. You're not going to see Hollywood make something like that. But guess what? Jesus died for you, Victor. And Jesus died for me. And Jesus died for Andrew. And Jesus died for Brittany and Billy and Derek and everybody that is listening, that, that believes and wants to believe and has that sense of urgency to get to know more about Jesus and who he is and follow him, he died for you because he loves you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Yeah. He gave his only son. Not to perish, but to have everlasting life. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Like Romans 10, if you're asking, like, well, what? What's the first steps? Like, what do I need to do? Well, you know, Romans tells us, like, you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's all over Scripture. And the reason it's found all over Scripture is because that's how important it is. And it's just, 
and it's just the complete narrative of scripture is this redemptive story of Jesus imputing God's righteousness onto us. And that's the great transaction. That's what happened on the cross. And that's what allows us to rest in the fact that God is God and intimately loves us. One last closing thought, because it is such an amazing, beautiful gift. It is the treasure. It's the gospel. Because of the gospel, we can remain eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Mm. This is why we come, and I pray humbly, professing a headship of a man in the home, also in the church, because Christ first is the head of the church. Amen. Absolutely. And we are reflecting this message that we eagerly profess, proclaim, and hopefully teach. Absolutely. May it be so. Absolutely. Now, Victor, before we go, I want I want to make one last statement. Absolutely. I know that Do it. there's people out there listening, and maybe you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you don't know anything about this guy, and, and you want to know more, and you're thinking, like, how do I find more out about Jesus? Like, I'm interested. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I want to know. Yeah. I want to know truth. I want to know more about Christianity. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about God. Hmm. Can you help them? Is there some way they can contact you, Absolutely. get in touch with you, so you can share this with them, or so that even uh, any of us yeah. can share this with them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there are so many uh, ways to get connected and so many ways to talk uh, to the ministry. Uh, I would encourage you to go to grace-nation.com. Uh, that would be the place to start. Uh, and there's a contact us box, and I would really encourage you to, to send me an email. Um, and, and so that I can personally get in touch with you, not, not to be referred to some robot or to some s- s- spammy email list, just so that I can personally respond to you and, and help get the resources to you uh, to, to give you more information on who Jesus is and how you, uh, how you can receive the amazing gift of salvation. And that would be step one. Uh, and, and there are so many resources out there. There are so many resources, whether it be on the internet or, or whether it be at churches, but I really do encourage you to email me because I uh, really would love to get in touch with you. So I think that would be the the first step. And, and uh, we have people uh, who are sitting in this room right now who, uh, if, if you would also like to get in contact with them, I can definitely give you an email or, or a way to get in touch with people so that you can be as connected as possible and receive the best and most biblical um, information uh, that, that you can get. And so we are able, willing, and ready and equipped to, to help you in that. And so, yeah, we definitely encourage you to seek out those means and media of communication uh, with us so that we can be there for you because that's what we're here for. That's what the purpose of this episode is. That's what the purpose of this podcast is. It's to be there for you. Um, and so that's that's what we are. And um, so, yeah, Stephen, Andrew, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, really appreciate it. I really appreciate your guys' wisdom uh, and your, just, just your guys' intellect when it comes to uh, just discussion on the gospel and on Jesus. And, and it just really... Um, is amazing the gift that God has given both of you. So thank you so much for being a part of this podcast, and uh, hopefully there will be more in the future. Maybe. Yeah, man, for sure. And listen to all my Christians out there listening. Go out and preach the gospel, brothers and Amen. sisters. Do it. We're called to do it. Matt twenty-eight. Let's live this great commission now. 
Alrighty guys, so uh, thank you guys for watching. If you guys haven't uh, gotten in contact with us, you can email me, uh, gracenationministries at yahoo.com. You can get in touch with us on so many different social media profiles. You can get in contact with us at Twitter, at GraceNationMen, Instagram, Facebook. There are so many ways for you guys to uh, get in contact with me and with Billy and with the ministry. Also guys, please don't forget about the Reaching the Nations fundraiser as we are, uh, we're, we're well into it. We've gotten some amazing donations and we're so appreciative to those of you who have uh, just prayerfully and financially supported us and, and so we also are continuing to ask for your continued prayers and your continued financial support as this year uh, comes to a close. So guys, until next time, take, take care, care and, and God bless. And that's the show. Thanks for listening. The BGN podcast comes out every week. Questions? Email us at gracenationministries at yahoo.com or tweet us at Grace Nation Min. Until next time, take care and God bless.